Well, as many of you know, at this point, our, uh, about three or four other congregations join us for our time in the Word. We have our Cactus Campus, and then our venue across campus, and then our chapel campus. And some of you might or might not know this, but each weekend we have between three and 500 people that join us online. Uh, we offer something called SBC Live, which means that you can dial in live to the, uh, to the uh, sanctuary here, the worship center, uh, anytime between nine and noon, and so we want to welcome them as well. Most of them are outside of our area. Uh, a few of them are just a few miles away attending Bedside Baptist, and we'd like to invite them <laughs> to next time. Feel free to join us here in the worship center, and, but we love you anyways. Uh, Joe mentioned that I'm going to be talking uh, next week, starting a five-week series on conflict, and uh, he's right. It's going to be an awesome series. You guys are going to love it, and I, and I thought I'd actually give you a prelude now and engender some conflict. Uh, does anybody know what this is? Yeah, this is a ballot. It's a voting ballot. This is my voting ballot. And uh, after the second service today and then after two football games this afternoon, I'm going to sit down. What am I going to do with this? I'm going to fill it out, and uh, I'm going to send it in uh, in tomorrow's mail. And it's got so Bible Church, uh, over, for over 50 years, we don't tell people who to vote for, but we do consistently mention two things when it comes to our time to vote. The first thing is we encourage all of you to vote. Uh, one of the most amazing things about our country, America, is that we all get a say. I, I, I'm not sure we all realize how, yeah, amen to that. It really is an amazing thing. I mean, I don't mean to make us feel guilty, but in China right now, there are a lot of people that wish they had a say. In the Sudan, there's a lot of people who wish they had a say. There are lots of people throughout the world that wish they could vote and have a say into the cultural and moral fabric of their society. And we get the chance to do it. And it's not pushing our morals on other people. Uh, the way our country is designed is that for 200 years, uh, we are a democracy, a republic, where people get to speak in to the moral and spiritual and cultural fabric of our society. And it doesn't mean that you always get your way. It doesn't mean that you always win. But it does mean that you get a say. And so more than anybody else, we Christians should take advantage of that. It just seems like that's what God would want for us. So we encourage you to exercise your right to have a say and to vote. And then the second thing we consistently encourage you to do around voting time is, to, is that if you are a Christian and a follower of Christ, to vote the values of the Bible. And again, that's not pushing our values on people. We have been asked to speak into the fabric of our society. And as many of you know, there's important issues out there that the Bible speaks into. Though they're politicized, they're not political issues. They're moral issues. So I gave a sermon a couple of years ago that engendered quite a few emails, and, and you can go back and, and get it. It was called Values for the Voting Booth. It's still on our website. It's about two years old, but it's really going to be a, a sermon that's good for about 20 years, if I don't miss my guess. And, and, and it talked about what values, just by example, there are right now moral values in our culture that we might want to speak into. Things like the right to life, the rights of the unborn, uh, things like the definition of marriage, uh, things like religious liberty. I remember when I did religious liberty a few years ago, some people came up to me afterwards and said, ah, that's not a big deal. And I said, well, you wait 
And just this week, as many of you know, in Houston, uh, five pastors had their sermons subpoenaed by, by, a lo- by the lawyer for the city of Houston because they're speaking out against some moral issues in their culture, and they're literally subpoenaing their, their sermons. I mean, that just goes against all that our country has been about with the separation of church and state and the, freedom and the, and the right to speech and all of that. And, and so these are significant issues. And when you and I go to the voting booth, again, I'm not telling you who to vote for, but be intelligent. Be intelligent about who the candidates are and what you, the Word of God says and what values you take into that voting booth. Because even though it's only one vote, history has shown that your vote matters and that God wants you to vote uh, His truth even into our culture to the level that they will receive it. So enough on that. Uh, if you don't like what I just said, you're welcome to send me an email. But, but I am speaking on conflict next week, so it just might appear in next week's sermon. All is fair in love and war. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Some of you aren't clapping. We better pray. (laughs) And we're talking on adoption today. And you know, it's a little bit of a thinner crowd. I think some people look at the website and go, oh, adoption, that's not for me. They're going to be very disappointed. Today is really a special look at what God has done for you and for me and how that translates into the needs in our culture today. So let's bow and pray and commit this time to the Lord. Father, we're grateful for your love for us, your grace, your mercy, and all that you've shown us in Christ. And so I pray that as we turn to your book now on this very, very important topic, that of adoption, and what you have said about it and done for us, that I think many Christians are not even aware of, and then how that translates horizontally into the relationships around us, into the needs of our culture. God, would you lift our sights beyond the here and now, give us a vision, a passion, for the world around us, and Lord, deepen us in our walk with you at the same time. We pray this in Christ's name, and we all say together, amen. Amen. I can remember years ago when I was a uh, student at Trinity Seminary back in the 1980s, at one point my dad ventured from Cleveland to Chicago, where I was doing my graduate work, to visit my seminary. He he was paying for my education, and he was very interested in it, even though he doesn't share all of my spiritual views, but he loved the seminary that I was at called Trinity Seminary. And so I gave him a tour. I showed him the stately chapel. I showed him the impressive library where a theologian that my dad actually knew, a guy by the name of Carl Henry, had just donated 10,000 books from his private library to Trinity Seminary's library, and that was kind of cool. And then we looked at some of the classrooms, and we finally ended up at the campus cafe called the White Horse Inn. Uh, That might not mean anything to you, but it was named after a 16th century tavern in Britain that was a favorite meeting spot of Reformation leaders. And just as we were rounding the corner to the White Horse Inn, we passed by a door, and the sign on the door said, Practical Theology Department. It's where they teach things like preaching and things like that. And my father, who's always had a dry sense of humor combined with a very quick wit, didn't miss a beat, and he looked at me and smiled, and he said, Where's the Impractical Theology Department? (laughs) And, And I knew what he meant right away. Uh, My dad, who tends to be very pragmatic in life, was basically suggesting, is there any kind of theology, is there any kind of truth that you might learn about God that isn't practical, that doesn't apply to your daily life? And what's the answer? Of course not. 
Everything that we learn about God, everything the Bible says at some point should touch our Monday through Saturday life. It should be able to be lived out at the very least in our thinking, if not also in our behavior. And folks, the reason that this is important is nowhere is this more true than the topic before us this morning, that of adoption. Adoption. Because here's what you're going to find out this morning, and it's going to blow some of you out of the water, and that is that adoption is at one time a rich and relevant theological reality about what God has done for you and me in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that here in a minute. But then simultaneously, it turns itself around and becomes a response to the world around us and the crying need that our world has when families have broken down. Let me show you what I mean. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to park in front of just two verses this morning out of Romans chapter 8, and yet they are two verses that use this single word adoption and use it in a very profound and life-altering way. And so I want you to follow along as I read for you verses 15 and 23 from Romans 8, and then we're going to unpack what this means for us today. So Romans 15, verses 15 and 23. If you don't have a Bible, look up here on your screen. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, this is really important to dial into. The context of the book of Romans at this point is that Paul the Apostle, inspired by God, is sharing with you and me, uh, by extension, because we're reading this book, what is true about the believer. Certain things that have happened to us at the moment of our salvation that are now de facto true about us as followers of Jesus Christ. This is the context of Romans 7 and 8. And obviously the core of what has happened to us, according to these two verses, is that we have been adopted by God. So that's our main point here. Just grab onto that right now. That as followers of Jesus, what these passages are clearly telling us is that God has adopted us. He's adopted us. What an interesting word to use to describe our relationship with God. It's fascinating. This word adopted here in Romans 8 means precisely what you think it means. In other words, the word hasn't changed over the last 2,000 years. What it means today is quite frankly what it meant back in the time of the Bible. You see, the Greco-Roman world that the book of Romans was written into had children back then that for whatever reason didn't have parents. Maybe their parents died or they didn't want the child or they were unable to care for them, but for whatever reason, they didn't have parents. And so many times in the Greco-Roman world, these kids would be adopted or taken on by another family. And when they were, they had all the rights as children that the natural or biological children had. And though they didn't have a formal process of adoption back then, like we do now with government regulations and lawyers and adoption agencies and things like that, we know from our historical sources of the ancient world that their adoption was an informal but public system and process where, again, kids who didn't have a home would find a home and they called it adoption. 
So simply note here that the same concept back then has now survived 2,000 years, and we call it adoption. And what the book of Romans is doing here is taking this commonly understood human notion of adoption and now applying it to our understanding of God and our salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's, a, and it's a profound concept that would have rocked their understanding of God back then as it should for us today. Think about this. God in Jesus Christ has adopted us. You know what that assumes? It assumes that we aren't born natural children of God. I read it again today in, in an article that I was reading this morning on an issue. And, 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 and you've heard this all the time. The, the author of this article said, well, we're all children of God. How many times have you heard that? It's very common in our American culture. We're all children of God. And I always smile when I think that because I think to myself, well, that is a wonderful, flowery, nice thought. But the reality is, is that the Bible does not affirm that at all. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says that you and I are all born into a state of separation from God. We are born fallen and sinful. In a very real way, latch on to this, we are born parentless on a spiritual level, loved by God, created by God, but separated from him from birth, so we are parentless. And so the reason that we need salvation, the reason that we need forgiveness, the reason that we need Jesus is because we are born in this state of separation from God. And it was through Jesus coming into this world, through his death on a cross for our sins, and through our belief and trust in him, that God now forgives us and accepts us into his family and into his fold. And that's exactly what, what Romans is saying here. That in a very real sense, God has adopted us through Christ and through our faith in him. At one time, we were not his children, but now through Christ, we are. And folks, it's a beautiful and powerful picture, a reality really, of our salvation and what it's really about. And yet, when you look close, it doesn't stop here. Get ready to have your mind really blown. Because when you look closely at these two verses here in Romans, there is given to us a level of detail, a level of understanding that does nothing but add color and texture to this idea of adoption and the fact that God has adopted us. When you slow down and look in a more extended way at these two verses and what they're saying here, you will notice that they contain no less than four realities of this idea of adoption that help us understand what it really means to be adopted by God. And I'm going to give you these four realities right up front, and then we're going to just briefly talk about each one. But look up here on your screen, and they are this. That because God has adopted us in Christ, we now have a new standing. We call him by a new name. But we're part of a new family, and we have a new hope, or you might want to put down there a new future. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 said that when you became a Christian, that, that you're a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And at least as far as your adoption by God goes, this is the new stuff right here. A new standing, a new name, a new family, and a new hope or a new future. And I'm telling you guys, it changes everything. This is a game changer when it comes to you and God. You need to understand what all of this means. And so notice with me first that because God has adopted us as his kids in Jesus Christ, we now have a new standing before him. 
It says there in verse 15, as it starts off this discussion, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, but you have received the spirit of, say it with me, adoption as sons, and sons there includes daughters. And so this is powerful. Our standing before God has now changed. It's telling us that we no longer fear God in the sense of being afraid of him, afraid to approach him, afraid of going to hell, afraid that he won't love and accept us when we mess up. No, on the contrary, it's saying you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you as one's now adopted by God and fully in his family and under his fatherhood. And what almost every theologian and Bible commentator points out at this point is that this is a declarative statement made by God. That's really significant. God is declaring this true about you as a follower of Jesus Christ. No matter what you might be going through right now, no matter what you might feel or not feel, your standing before him has changed from what it used to be. He now fully embraces and accepts us in Christ. In fact, this word adoption is only used about five or six times in the New Testament, but each time is potent. And in Ephesians 1 verse 5, it uses this word adoption, and get this, it uses it this way. It says that he actually predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, which means that he chose us. If you're one of his, not only did he adopt you, but he says, I chose you. I looked out at all the world and I chose you. So just like in adoption today, when, when we get to choose the kid that we want to adopt and then make that kid a full part of our family, God says he has done that for you and me in Christ. And we now have a completely new standing, fully accepted and embraced before him. Now, as you're chewing on that, notice that right on the coattails of this, it says a second thing about our adoption, and that is that in our adoption, there is now a new name. There's a new name. And it's not that we have a new name. This is kind of tricky here. No, it's that God allows us to call him by a new name. And so just like when you adopt a kid into a family this side of heaven, and that kid now gets to call mom and dad, isn't this a beautiful thing, mom and dad, God says now that you're a part or been adopted by him, you get to call him by a special name. Now look at what it says there in verse, eight, verse 15b. It says, for you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, now here it is, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, folks, i got to tell you, when these words were initially read 2,000 years ago by the church in Rome, when they got to this point, I'm telling you, there would have been an audible gasp. And you're saying, why? It's because of that word, Abba. And that word, Abba, here is a transliter transliterated into the Greek Aramaic word. What does that mean? It simply means that, that back then the New Testament was written in Greek, but most of the people spoke Aramaic. And so once in a while, the New Testament will come along and take an Aramaic word or phrase, transliterate it into the Greek to make a point. And that's what's going on here. And that word Abba, that Aramaic word, get this, was the reigning familiar term for father in New Testament times, Abba. It was never used of God. Not in any major world religion at that time. The Jews didn't use it for God. The Greeks certainly didn't use it for God. Can you imagine the, the Greeks saying, hey, go call Zeus Abba? You know, it, it just wouldn't have fit. Why? 
Because Abba was a familiar, everyday, informal, get this, emotionally endearing term for father. The best translation today would be daddy or papa. Now think of what informal term you might have used to refer to your father as. That's what Abba meant. And the reason they would have gasped back then is because you just didn't have that kind of familiarity. You didn't use that kind of word for God. I like how one commentator says it. He says this was a term expressing the spontaneous exuberance of emotions. And you just didn't do that with God. But Romans here does that. Jesus first did it back in the garden. And more than anything, what this term connotes, now don't miss this, is belonging. And that's what's part of our adoption. We now belong to God. And he belongs to us. And the barriers, the walls that you have felt from birth are now broken down. Why? Because he has fully accepted you into relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. That's what adoption is all about. You now belong. And the fact that we can cry Abba is proof of this. So add up where we've come from. Contained in being adopted by God and Jesus, now fully his children, we have a new standing. We get to call God by a new name. And then we're going to put this together in just a minute here. But notice thirdly that we now get to be part of a new family. I don't know if you caught it or not, but this is kind of subtle. But in verse 15, it says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do you see that there? We. Paul could have said, by whom I or you get to call Abba, Father. But he made a very intentional statement here, guided by the Spirit, to say, we cry. And I think that's important here. In other words, God has a lot of adopted kids like anybody that has come to believe in him through Jesus Christ. And so you and I are now part of one huge semi-happy family. That's what the Bible says, that we are part of his family. And so together we come before God. Together we call him Abba. Together we find our belonging. And so what this connotes to us is that part of adoption is inclusion and community. And though it's not always easy and though we don't always get along, this is why we have church. This is why we have small groups. This is why we come together as the body of Christ. Why? Because we're all a part of the same family as, as other adopted kids join us. And then fourthly, but certainly not last, notice that part and parcel of our adoption is a new future, or we might call it a new hope. It says in verse 23 of Romans 8 as it continues this adoption theme, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, here it is, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And now we've got to be very clear here. I know I'm giving you a lot here, but, but you're going to want to latch on to this. This passage can't be saying, even though it might seem like it at first glance, that we haven't yet been adopted. The reason we know that is because verse 15 comes before verse 23, and it clearly tells us we're adopted. And then Galatians 4 verse 5 and Ephesians 1 verse 5 says the exact same thing, that in Christ he has already adopted us. We're a part of his family. So that can't be what verse 23 is saying. No, when you look closely, what it's saying here is that in the future, there's going to be a full consummation of what it means to be adopted by God. There's going to be a completion to our adoption, an end goal to our adoption, and that it has everything to do, whatever this phrase means, with the redemption of our bodies. Do you see that there in verse 23? And what most scholars and Bible experts posit that this redemption of our bodies means is heaven, the afterlife. 
1 Corinthians 15, 44 tells us that when this body stops working as followers of Jesus, your soul goes to be with God and that eventually you're going to have a resurrection body, a new body for all of eternity, the redemption of our bodies. And that's what this is getting at here. And the reason that that is so important here is that it's telling us that as a follower of Jesus, as one adopted into God's family, no matter what happens to you this side of heaven, you got a future to look forward to. You have eternity to look forward to in which there's going to be full redemption. You get to cash in on your adoption. In other words, there's never a reason for a Christian to lose hope. Amen? Never. As Jesus said, they can kill the body, but they can't touch the soul. And so you and I are people of hope. We are people who have a bright future because God is now in our life. And so even if things go to pot this side of heaven, God says, hey, hang in there. Because one, I'm going to move in your life and breathe in your life. and We might even be able to redeem things this side of heaven. God does that all the time. But even if that doesn't happen... There is heaven itself, and that it's real, and that it matters. And so I love how Tim Keller said this recently in a sermon he did on joy. Look up here on the screen. I thought this was good. He says, our adoption means that we are loved like Christ is loved. We are honored like he is honored, every one of us, no matter what. Your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise. In fact, your bad circumstances will only help you understand and even claim the beauty of that promise. He says, the more you live out who you are in Christ, the more you become like him in actuality. He says, Paul is not promising you better life circumstances. He is promising you a far better life. He is promising you a life of joy, a life of humility, a life of nobility. He's promising you a life that goes on forever. And that's adoption. You now have hope. You now have a bright future, all because God has adopted you. I got the glorious privilege, guys, for the last two weeks, because I had last Sunday off, to immerse myself in these two verses and study this idea of adoption. And I got to tell you, I have never felt closer to God in the last few months than I do now in this week realizing that in Christ, because he's adopted me, it's a declarative statement, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I might feel, because Jesus is in my life, I have a new standing. I get to call God by a new name. I I got a new family to be a part of, and I got a new and bright future to look forward to. Now, why is all of this important? What does this have to do with adoption today? Here's the deal. I would submit to you that flowing out of this amazing and powerful reality of you and me being adopted by God, there is now a blueprint for what it means for you and me to engage our current culture and the needs that it has when it comes to family breakdown. In other words, I would say it like this. Look up here on the screen. Cactus Venue and, and Chapel, you already are looking up on your screens, but, but latch onto this because this is I, I work very hard on the outline for this. As we've seen, as followers of Jesus, God has adopted us. And we now have a new standing, a new name, a new family, and a new hope. But here's the deal. We are now called to follow suit. That any time in our culture today that we see a need that could be met, by this idea of adoption, this pattern that God has set for us, we should be the first in line to say, I know how to do this. 
Because you see, God has adopted us in Christ. And specifically, need I be redundant? He has adopted us through choosing and accepting us a new standing, giving us belonging and intimacy, a new name, providing for us inclusion and community, a new family, and then capping it all off with hope and a bright future. And because God has done all of this, it only makes sense that when you and I now confront needs on a human level here on earth, kids that for whatever reason are parentless, we now know how to respond. We know how to follow suit, doing the same thing for them that God has done for us. In other words, Christians, more than any other group on planet earth, should be the first ones in line to deal with a foster care or adoption crisis. Why? Because we know what it's like to be parentless. Amen? We do. I I mean, I didn't know Christ for the first 17 years of my life. And though in hindsight, at that time, I thought I was doing fine. As I've said to you guys, my spiritual life when I accepted Christ went from black and white to technicolor. I didn't realize what I was missing till I had him. And I look back now, and I think, man, I was parentless. I was lost and in darkness. I was without God and without hope in the world, as the scriptures say. But now that he's adopted me, everything has changed. And so if anybody can relate to this idea of being parentless, even though you might not have been on a human level, a Christian can. And here's the amazing thing, that when we actually do rise up and respond, when we take a child into our home and provide for him or her what God has provided for us, a new standing, a new name, a new family, and a new hope, look out, because in the hands of God, this becomes precisely the kind of healing and restoration that is needed. Simply put, I'm just telling you, it works. I know I've I've shared this a little bit before, but I have had the wonderful privilege over the last 22 years about of having a front row seat and seeing how these four realities of adoption can truly transfer from the vertical with God to the horizontal in healing our world. And the reason I've had a front row seat of that is I have one younger brother and one older sister, Pete and Kate, and both of them, for very different reasons, decided to adopt children as part of their biological and natural family. They already had some other kids. My brother became a Christian in 1995 and already had two beautiful kids and decided they decided to adopt a third. So they adopted a, a little South Korean girl as a little baby from South Korea named Mia. Uh, my sister ha- had one son and couldn't have any more children, so they decided, her and her husband Scott, to, to adopt a little girl named Samantha, Sam, from Columbia. And so on both ends of our family, I've had the wonderful privilege to be Uncle Jamie to Mia and to Sam. About two years ago, we decided to do a a family vacation. We got all the kids together, all the grandkids rented a really big house on Torch Lake in Michigan. And Kim and I and our kids decided to go back and we spent a week together. It was a miracle that there was no fights or nobody got hurt or things like that, but it was just a, a, a wonderful week as, as the three kids got together and then all of our kids, and we also invited another couple from here in Scottsdale. As you can imagine, I took a lot of pictures. Um, here's a picture here of Mia, uh, Pete's kid, and, and Pete. And I love that picture because in the picture, Pete looks like he's not happy, right? I mean, I think we'd all agree with that. Uh, but what's beautiful about that picture is that I have so many of them because Mia never leaves Pete's side. I mean, he just, she never leaves his side. 
And just to show you that he's not always happy, here's a picture of him with his, his natural daughter. He didn't look happy there either. So I think we could just safely say that that's my brother half the time. And, and if you had his life, you might not be happy too. It's hectic and busy. And in all seriousness, he is a very happy guy. But one of the most beautiful things about that week was when I would see Mia or even Sam come in and look at one of their parents and just without, naturally, without even realizing what they're doing, just say, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, can I go down to the store? Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, out, out on the lake. Hey, Mom, Dad, I'm going to just be out, out jogging or whatever. And, and I almost cried every time I heard that because I thought, do they realize how powerful that is? That there's a new standing and a new name for these kids and it was such a beautiful, it's been such a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch right in front of me. A picture of what God has done for us, playing itself out, healing a broken world. And then I've also got to witness the fact that there is just a whole new family now for these kids. Here's a picture of my brother's three kids. Keegan is there on the right. He's in college. And then you saw Margo. And then there's Mia. And you know what's beautiful about this picture? I'm just telling you. It looks kind of Pollyanna, like they're one big happy family. They got a lot of problems, believe me, a lot more than I do. They got a lot of problems. <laughs> but they really are happy. I have hundreds of pictures of Mia like that, smiling and just being a part of a family. Here's a picture we took of all of us at the end of the week. And isn't that a beautiful picture? These are almost all the grandchildren. My sister's oldest is in the military, so he wasn't there that week. Uh, but here's all the grandkids. And again, you can see it's multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-origin, but it's a family. And there's Samantha laying across the kids there with joy on her face. It's a new family. And you see, here's the point, is that my brother and my sister, and I'm not trying to say this in some altruistic way, but just in a very natural way, have provided a wonderful, bright future for these kids. Here's a picture of Mia and Sam. I love this picture because they're just interacting together, and this picture just reminds me of what a bright future these kids have. Uh, Mia right now is in high school and involved with sports and church and doing fine. Sam is working her way through college and, and living at home, a part of a wonderful family. And, and again, I don't want to paint some Pollyanna picture. I can't break any confidences, but you guessed it. This has not been an easy road for these kids. Do we all understand that? This statistic might help. Uh, across America right now, 2% uh, of all kids are adopted. So out of 50 kids that you might meet in culture, the chances are there's one that's adopted. And yet 11% of all children who are in counseling or therapy have been adopted. And that should be revealing to us. It's a very, very difficult road. And I've seen that with my nieces as well. It is not an easy road. There's lots of difficulties tra to traverse. But you see, that's what adds to the power of a new standing, a new name, a new family, and a new future. That we get to transfer what God does into our culture as ones who know him. And I'm telling you, I've watched him enter in and use the same guiding realities that he's done for us in Christ, now transferred to a horizontal level. So what are we asking of you today? Some of you might be thinking. You're thinking, well, this is really great, and this is good teaching, and, you know, what are you saying? I want to close by, by asking two things of you, and I'm going to be very bold here, but they just make sense to me. The first thing I'm asking for all of our church, and I mean every one of us, is to pray about and consider becoming personally involved in foster care and or adoption. Simply put, if you're in a position to 
And some of you don't know if you're in a position to, so you just need to simply pray. Pray about whether God wants you to be involved in this. If God wants you to be a foster care parent or even to take the step of adoption. And there's no pressure here. I'm just asking you to pray and consider. Ask God. Seek wise counsel. Investigate. Joe mentioned earlier, we have an informational meeting. I hope you know we're not going to be taking attendance at that meeting. No one's going to bug you and call you after that. But just come out, come and find out what this is about. Because I don't think, I think if all of us ask God, then we're going to have a lot more families that can start to make a dent in the need that is out there. Joe mentioned earlier that there's 15,000 kids in Arizona right now that are in the system, that are waiting for foster care or adoption. There are 400,000 kids nationwide that are waiting for foster care or adoption, and there are 18 million kids worldwide that are orphans. And so don't ever kid yourself. The need is great, and you and I could be a part of this. I want to show you my story right now that we put together, a very real one and raw one of how this process might work. Andy and Barb Everode are key players here in our church. Andy's been an elder. Uh, they're in their early 40s. Andy's a lawyer. Barb's a full-time school teacher. And a few years ago, they started this journey of simply asking God if he would have them do it. And, and they weren't likely candidates. They had two teenage girls at that time. The last thing they were thinking about was having another kid. Why don't you watch what God did? Look up here on the screen. We met in 91, we got married in 95. We started our family, had our two beautiful girls. They were getting into teenage years. I'm thinking at some point they're gonna be going to college, you know, maybe get married, and Barb and I will, I mean, I was looking forward to the empty nest stage. One day there was an opportunity here at Scottsdale Bible to attend a, an orientation for foster care and adoption. And so I said, Andy, what do you think? And he said, let's go. 100% on board with fostering. But I think we also did it, I think, wisely. We did it slowly. We went to the orientation. We got the information. Uh, and then it was, a, yeah, I think we both want to do this, but not yet. Two years later, we finally said, yeah, we still want to go through the process. So let's commit to getting our license. And so once we got the license and we agreed family-wise, we're all on board. Let's put our name on the list. And I think that was a Thursday and our first little boy came Friday. A car pulls up, little boy sleeping in a car seat. They handed us this precious little boy and our lives were changed. We had him for 10 months. Foster care hurts, but the hurt is nothing compared to what these children's lives are. You just feel like that is your child, and they are your, your children, and you need to treat them that way. You love them with all of your heart. You pour into those children so much. I mean, he was part of our family day one. Uh, Barb emotionally got to the point of thinking about adoption. I was still in the mindset, we're meeting a temporary need, and we'd been off the list for a little bit. And my um, daughter woke up on her birthday and she said, Mom, I want a baby sister for my birthday. And we said, okay, you know, not that we're going to go get you a sister, but we'll put our names back on the list. Five o'clock that night, we were getting ready to go out to celebrate with family, and the phone rang. Barb says, do we want to go pick up a two-day-old at the hospital? And of course, absolutely. And I was on my way. <laughs> it was a baby girl, just as Taylor had asked for. It wasn't very long, and I thought, 
you can't take this child from me, Lord. Um, I can't imagine life without her. Her birth mom was not likely to step up. So we prayed about it, prayed about it, and they didn't have the same settling feeling, that peace about this decision. I asked for prayer because I said, I need some wisdom on this. My wife's ready to adopt. I'm not there yet. I'm not saying no. What I don't want to do is I don't want to say yes just because of Barb. We went away for a weekend and God placed so many adoptive couples in our path that weekend that it was comical. We're meeting people that had fostered, people that had adopted. We're meeting people that had four, literally a 14 year gap between kids, I'm thinking. Like, hello, do you get it yet? She's yours, you need to say yes to this. And I still remember where we were at the elevator and I told Barb, I said, I'm ready to adopt. Our home revolves around her in every sense, and she eats that up. She's just amazing. Uh, she's loving, she's beautiful. She's got this, you know, the one dimple on her right side when she smiles. And our older girls are so good with her. I, I can't imagine our family without her. We've been so blessed, we really have. All these children belong to the Lord. And through foster care and adoption, I feel like I really understand they are His children and he has a wonderful plan for each one of them. I'm Andy Everode. I'm Barb Everode. And this is my story. One of the things I love about their journey is that uh, it really is very real and raw. Uh, the elders have a, a monthly meeting called Soul Care where the elders get together and we function as a small group and share lives with each other and pray. And I remember the soul care that Andy came to and we spent the entire soul care on this issue because Andy said, Barb wants to adopt and I'm not there. <laughs> and we didn't tell him what to do. We just listened and asked him questions and then prayed like crazy for him. And as you saw, God moved in their lives. Here's what I'm most excited about today. I can't wait to see who the next Barb and Andy Everode are. I can't wait to see who God is going to tap on the shoulder if we all just ask him and say, is it me, Lord? Because God wants us all to at least be open to this. And so there's an information table out there today. Please stop by there if you have any questions or concerns, but be praying, seeking. Go to the information session and let's see what God does. Now, I'm a realist. I know that there's some of us here today that are certainly not going to be involved in adoption and foster care, at least in the sense of doing it. Uh, not to put it too mildly, but there's some of you, based on your maturity and experience in life, that probably wouldn't qualify uh, at, at this point, uh, at least for adoption. And I fully understand that. So in closing, here's the second thing that we are asking of you today, and this is something we can all do, and this is powerful, and that is to support those around you that are personally involved with foster care and or adoption. And you're saying, how do I do that? Four ways, relationally, prayerfully, tangibly, and financially. Give me another click here, guys. That's how you, you do that. In other words, on a relational level, reach out to those around you that are involved in adoption care and, and fostering. Uh, ask them how they're doing. Have a cup of coffee with them. Listen to them and encourage them. It's a difficult road. Draw close relationally. Uh, secondly, pray for them and ask them, what can I pray for you for? In fact, I would say today, I'll throw down the gauntlet, any small group in this church that has people in them that are foster care or adoption, they should be supporting them in prayer 
24-7, all the time. We should be praying for those who are doing this front lines work. Tangibly, you can support them. Give them a night out, complete with a gift card to a nice restaurant. Uh, volunteer to watch their kids, or if they don't want you to watch their kids, then pay for someone to watch their kids. Uh, there's ways that we can support those in need. And then obviously financially, and I mean this on two levels. Uh, did you know that right now private adoption, uh, even through agencies, runs in the tens of thousands of dollars for one kid? Uh, it's not an, an inexpensive deal. It's become very in good ways and bad ways, bureaucratic in our culture today. And, and, and so it's a stress on these families. In my last church, when somebody was adopting, we would just kind of make it known informally at the church that they were doing it, and people would financially help out because they knew that this was a wonderful road, but one that was going to need some resources. And then the second thing you can do, by the way, is also support some of these agencies. CFCA is one of our partner agencies, Christian Family Care Agency, and they're a nonprofit organization that's constantly looking to be supported by us. We support them as a church, but they could use your support as individuals as well as God leads you to do this. There's something all of us can do when it comes to this, to living out our salvation, the fact that we've been adopted uh, in a tangible way with the needs of our culture. Uh, my big prayer this week, and I'll close with this, is that today would not have been a one-off. I, I, I just pray that today would not be something in which you hear and go, gosh, that was a pretty nice sermon on adoption. Uh, where am I eating at lunch and who's playing football this afternoon and just sort of let it slide by you. I pray that we get some traction out of this. That you ask God what he would have you do personally as a family if you're in a position to, and, and that all of us roll up our proverbial sleeves, and, and that we get involved in, in supporting what God is so involved in. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us, and then I'll let you guys go. Father, thanks for uh, this wonderful time we can have here today in your word. Uh, Lord, first of all, realizing some of us the very first time some of the beautiful intricacies of our salvation, namely that we've been adopted by you and have a new standing, and call you by a new name, and are part of a new family, and have a new future. God, if, if nothing else, may that penetrate our hearts and our minds this week as we go through our week living out our walk with you. And, and then, Lord, I pray secondly that as we apply feet to this uh, with the world around us, that, God, you would speak to each of our minds and hearts. May there be a lot more Everode families, as there are in this church, who hear your call uh, to help these little ones and provide for them a hope and a future that you want us to provide. Lord, may you speak to each one of us individually. And Lord, for the rest of us, may we be involved. May we show support tangibly and relationally, financially and prayerfully for these families because we're all in this together. God, thanks for what you do. Thanks for the redemption you give us in Christ. And thank you, Lord, that it translates so powerfully into everyday life. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all say together... Amen. God bless you guys.